This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Chris Edmonds. He's the founder and CEO of the Purposeful Culture Group, and this is Work Minus Frustrating Culture. Hi, Chris. How are you? Neil, thanks for the opportunity. I'm excited to be here. We are very excited to have you on. Why don't you give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Well, I'm a, I'm a working musician, but that doesn't make any money. So, <laughs> <laughs> Nice. What do you play? I'm a guitar player, mostly, uh, in this band. And we do a lot of weddings and corporate stuff and, and that kind of thing. But I get to do, I do electric banjo in this band. I do electric mandolin. I play some bass. I do background vocals. It's a ball. It's a ball. Talk about an interesting culture. Most bands have cultures and they're not very healthy, but we're not here to fix that. So mostly I'm a speaker and a writer, author, and an executive consultant. So I literally consult. That's the bulk of my business with leaders of of teams and divisions and departments and small businesses and multinationals and everything in between to help them create a purposeful, positive, productive work culture. All right. So using the big C word culture, which seems to have blown up in the last five years. I don't know what happened. Yeah, it has. It has indeed. In fact, in the last 10 years, it's gotten increasing focus. And and, um, Deloitte does some really cool research every year in their Global Human Capital uh, Report. And 2016's found that senior leaders felt like culture was one of the most important contributors to business success. And and only 19% of those leaders felt like they actually knew how their culture was currently operating. So again, the opportunity is, and, and it's, it's, it's very classic that when I begin working with leaders, there's a lot of education going on. This is the stuff you look for, right? This is, culture is kind of this amorphous blob, and let's look at some specifics. And, and, and I've tried to make it quite easy, but most leaders have never been asked to manage culture. And, and now it's, it's much more important. I think there's a couple of contributors to that. One is the, the economy is, is much, 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 much better, which leads people who maybe in 08, 09, 2010 were hanging on to work in jobs that weren't very <laughs> validating slash fun. Sure. Because there was there there were fewer opportunities, and now it's like, well, screw that. I don't have to stay in an environment where I'm not valued, where where I'm not I'm not inspired, where I have teammates <laughs> who aren't fun, who aren't nice, you know, et cetera, to to have much greater flexibility. And I think I think those young kids, those newer generations coming in, are going to continue to to want to have experiences that are that are more fun and kind of inspiring and, oh, God forbid, meaningful. And um, and a lot of, of, of organizational leaders haven't really made that, you know, a primary focus of, of their relationships with their players. And so we've got a lot of evolving to do. But I think that's why culture is increasingly um, a greater focus. Do you feel like culture is something that we've just grown the luxury of being able to talk about now? Or has it always been something from successful companies? Boy, that's a great question. What what I love is I look back. You know, I've been I've been doing this for thirty years, and I look back into the early years, and people were always amazed at 
Ritz Carlton hotels, mm-hmm. right? Zappos came around and it's like, oh, they've got such a cool culture. And, then, and Starbucks had a burp, you know, a few five, six, eight years ago, came back with, with Howard Schultz. They've got a very cool, very interesting culture. And there were small companies that had cool cultures, but there wasn't as as great in awareness. And I think it literally goes back to what I just mentioned was leaders have never been asked to manage culture. And and increasingly they are. And they have no idea what to look for. They have no idea how to fix it if they find that it's, it's bent or broken. And so I, I really believe that the other thing that's very interesting, and, and I bet you've, you've heard this as well, is a greater appreciation for the employee experience, which totally goes to culture. Mm. It, it, that experience and how are people treated, how are they hired, how are they, you know, kept informed, you know, all of that has to do with, you know, increasing an employee's confidence that my leaders are doing the right thing, right? We're headed in the right direction. You know, our customers love us and we could do better at that, but but this is a good place to be. Or none of those things are true and it's not a good place to be. Hmm, wow. All right. So let's get into your book called The Culture Engine. Uh, one of the things you advocate for in there is to have leaders actually draft something called the organizational constitution, which sounds really stuffy, but you're going to make it cool for us, right? <laughs> I promise I'll make it cool and easy. Well, and, and what's very cool is that the language, especially in Western society, you know, talking about an organizational constitution, people go, oh, there's going to be rules and we're going to enforce them. Well, yeah, it's like traffic laws. I mean, literally. And and so the idea of formalizing what you want in your work culture first makes it much, much easier to hire to it, to align people's behavior to it, all that stuff. So there's four elements of an organizational constitution. And the first is servant purpose. We'll speak a bit more about that in a minute. The second is values and behaviors, which is hugely important. And the last two pieces are strategies and goals. And so we basically combine strategies and goals, which is the results side, the performance side of a business, which is critically important, but is only half the leader's job. And the servant purpose and values and behaviors are the other half of the leader's job, which is you know, crafting a workplace where people feel feel respected and valued. Duh. And so the servant purpose piece is very interesting. Um, Early, early on, this is 20 years ago, way back when, when video cameras were not quite as readily available to everybody. And I'd say, go get a camera, go out and interview 20 people in your organization and ask them what the purpose of your business is. It was hilarious, right? Because the bulk <laughs> of the information that came back was, well, we make money, you know, well, we, we make cars, right? Or we make sandwiches or, or whatever it is. Um, but there wasn't a lot of passion around that. It was, it was matter of fact. And, and the thing that, that, this helped leaders get to is it wasn't me as an outsider just saying you may not be helping people really develop significance right in the work that they do which you kind of could do they're going to be there anyway you may as well you may as well get them interested in things right but it's the making money doesn't necessarily help their family their life today and yet improving the quality of life in their community or customers. By the way, that's a that's a big jump, right? That's a very significant 
kind of vision. Um, and how and how does what we do? How does making sandwiches make like the world a better place, et cetera? And the reality is, there's companies that are doing it really well. And so, the idea of who are we serving? And to what end besides making money? How are we improving, literally, uh, quality of life? And there's some really, really cool insights that people get to. I've got a client I've been working with for about 18 months now that is a, uh, uh, an electrical contracting business. And they do, you know, commercial properties. They do multifamily. They do custom homes. They do all that. And their servant purpose was peace of mind. Hmm. that electricity is going to work right. It's not going to zap your kid when they plug in the toaster when you get in the you know first week in this cool home. That, that was immensely inspiring. And so here's this little company that really gets it. And and one another another servant purpose that I, I I'm so inspired by is is a company that printed catalogs, and what they got to was we are the source of our customer success, and so we help our customers' businesses thrive because we're doing the right colors, <laughs> we get it set on the right day with the right prices. It's very interesting, very very interesting. And so the idea of a servant purpose creates increasing satisfaction, increasing motivation to do the right thing. The biggest piece, as I said, and again, strategies and goals, a lot of companies need to do that better and need to hold people accountable for performance better. But where we find the most frustration in small businesses and multinationals, everything in between, is that people don't treat each other very well. Hmm. Um, Bosses don't treat their followers very well, right? Team members screw their buddies every day. And, and and the reality is if the only thing that gets measured is is the traction on results, you can have people behave very badly to get that recognition because it's the only recognition they have. And so literally when I when I speak to leaders about we're gonna help you create rules. <laughs> they look at me like I'm from outer space. We're going to create rules for, for people being nice to each other. And they're like, why would we do that? And I said, well, let me go back to the interviews I did. And let me talk about the lack of trust. And let me talk about the literal backstabbing that happens in most teams today. And that if you want people to feel trusted, honored, respected every day, unfortunately, hope is not a really smart way of going yeah. about that. So, so literally, I help those leaders, what are the three or four values you want? Don't do 10. Don't do 10. We can't remember 10. I might not be able to remember five. So do three or four and then do literal, observable, tangible, measurable behaviors, maybe three of them for each value. And so it translates integrity. Uh, integrity is is a very common value that the, the companies I work with want, but they say, well, everybody knows what that means. No, they don't. And, and let's define it and, and be very specific about it, what it's going to mean in your company now. And so one of the things that I suggest is I do what I say I will do. Ah, that gets us to I, not we, or not you. I means I have to do it every day. And it's actually observable, tangible, measurable. So as you can guess, as we get to better, let's call it accountability, 
for results, which means set clear car targets, hold people accountable, right? measure it, right? monitor it, reward it. You have to do the same thing with these valued behaviors. You have to model them. You have to coach them. You have to not tolerate bad behavior anymore. And it's magnificent. It takes a while. It takes a while. In most companies, it's 12 plus months. But when employees see that citizenship, right? Teamwork, almost the work ethic is defined. It's like, why don't you tell me that's what you want me to do? <laughs> I won't be mean anymore. It's very, very interesting. And of course, the reality is just as you find when you're more conscious and more disciplined about holding people accountable for performance, as you hold people accountable for values, you're going to have some folks that are going to going to say, you're not paying me enough to be nice to these morons. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. And it's like, go, it's fine. Go, you know, and let's get, let's keep people that do want to be respectful and that at the same time we can solve problems for customers and those customers are going to love us and the buzz is going to be good and social media will be good and on and on and on. It's very interesting. And you heard me earlier, Neil, say this is about the other half of a leader's job. And, and managing results is, is certainly important, but it's no less important than managing sanity, <laughs> civility, and respect in a workplace. So does that help? Yeah, absolutely. Let, let's talk about somebody who, who leads a team, but doesn't necessarily lead the organization. They feel like they want to establish within their their team a certain culture. They recognize that maybe the outside, there isn't either a defined culture, or it's just a little bit toxic. And so they want to create some kind of incubated space in there. How can they do that? Absolutely easy to do. And I have a lot of of what I get is is cool fan mail, let's call it right, with with someone who's the head of a department in the middle of a broader organization, could be a you know multinational, could be a corporate beast somewhere, but it's like their team culture was toxic. So I, I want to fix this. And literally I say let's use let's use the values and behaviors, but call them ground rules, right? There's not this formal organizational structure that's being implemented or a formal initiative that's being tracked. Let's do let's do this casually and and set four or five ground rules. Literally they can be something as simple as you know, I don't lie, cheat, or steal, right? <laughs> right? I tell the truth, mm -hmm. right? I do what I say I will do, right? This is all confidential. Let's not spread it around. Whatever it is. And those values can all of a sudden change the nature of relationships. And so literally, it doesn't mean that that individual team leader or department leader or even region leader has to take on the responsibility of fixing the whole organizational culture. No, 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 no. Do do what's in your sphere of influence, so that that quote span of control. And and again, hold people accountable for results, but hold people accountable for respect. And and it's literally as simple as picking some ground rules. Yes, I have some suggestions in my book about this kind of soft start. Um, but but what is very interesting is that if the leader is disciplined enough and diligent enough to call people on their crap, right? If this is not one of our ground rules being followed, you've got to have a conversation. And those are tough conversations. But as people understand that, boy, these rules are serious. I may as well be nice to these morons, right? Or these, these friends, right? These colleagues mm -hmm. or whatever. 
um, I'm not going to tease anymore. That can be a huge, huge shift uh, towards respect. It makes a tremendous difference. And we've literally seen, and I'm going to use a, a retail example, had had the world's largest retailer, <clears throat> how's that for subtle, um, <laughs> a division use it. And at the time, there were three states. The, uh, this leader expanded to seven states because of the success, but it was store by store. And if some stores didn't want to do it, that was fine. But what became apparent was that service improved, which not surprisingly boosted profits, which everybody noticed. Because that's what gets measured. That, that's what gets measured. But if employees feel trusted and respected, they're going to be able to treat others like customers and peers with respect. And it's going to be way more fun for a customer to go in with you know, a family or, or an, an elderly parent or whatever and it's safer. It's mm. actually enjoyable. And it's so it's it's very, very interesting. And the rest of the organization doesn't need to be changed. You can actually make this this change absolutely take hold in a five member team or a ten member team. So Chris, the topic of culture is, you know, so broad. It's been talked about so much. I think everyone recognizes its place for it, but there are some places where I think people feel like, man, not again. We're not gonna have that culture discussion again. Do you think that there's a little bit of observer effect here where you can start to ruin the culture by paying too much attention to it? You know, I, I've, I absolutely do not think that. And I think what, what's interesting is it again goes back to expectations of leaders. If the only thing that they have been asked to measure, monitor, and reward is results, and and their role models for the past 20 years or 10 years or whatnot have been mean and and bullying and assertive. We've all had bosses like that. We have all had bosses like that. That's all they know. And so the culture thing, oh, for God's sake, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with the culture. And so it literally takes a senior leader, and it could be a business owner, right? It could be, again, a department leader. It could be a company president to say, no more. We are, we are treating each other badly. It's exhausting. You know, why don't, why don't we at least try and be civil? <laughs> let's, let's have that as the right, the, the first target here for this, for this shift. And, and the reality is, I think many leaders, uh, many observers who say, oh, no, not that culture conversation again, is no one knew how to actually make it stick, to make it sustain. And this approach is completely sustainable if leaders are willing to model it coach it and 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 in essence never let it go and so it's it's culture is not only worth investing in it's way more fun to have a culture where people actually are civil slash respect each other way way more fun Mm -hmm. Uh, chris i've heard the quote that says that culture is what you allow an organization the behaviors you allow what do you think about that one Absolutely so. I talk a lot about about leaders tolerating bad behavior. Uh, and again, because number one, culture hasn't been a, a huge focus of theirs. They haven't really been trained how to manage culture. And yet I say as we start to, you know, kind of craft or even worse, 
you already have values on the wall, but people aren't behaving according to them. So that means those values are alive. That's the medical term, <laughs> right? But it means that you are allowing bad behavior. And in fact, you could be allowing bad behavior by people in very senior positions. And so the role modeling, oh my God, it's it's awful as opposed to it being actually generous and kind. And so the idea of culture being something that leaders must invest time in is huge and it's what you allow and and it's it's a it's a perfect term i call it kind of the tolerations thing if you're tolerating bad behavior you get what you deserve because it means that behavior is okay and uh, don't care whether or not you're a you know frontline player a, a 20-year employee a senior leader a middle manager if you're treating people badly and there's no consequence that's going to create a very miserable culture so what if you are a person who's in in a leadership position, you're, you're a team leader, you see somebody, you have this value that you've established that says, you know, I, I do what I say I'm going to do. And then you notice that there's one person on the team that says, you know, oh, yeah, I'll get that done for you tomorrow. It doesn't happen. The next day comes and then they, they turn it in. How important is it for the, the leader to step in and say, hey, you violated our values. Here's your demerit. Here's your, you know, bad card. Like what, what, how does the leader respond? It's so, so it's huge because it's consistency, right? And it's the issue of, well, if it's a, if it's a soft rule, <laughs> that's not, that's not really a rule and where it really takes hold, Neil, this is so cool is when not only leaders are very proactive and it could be a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It may not be in front of anybody else, but it's Chris, 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 this was due at five o'clock. Here's the consequence of this. We're you know, two hours late to get this back to this customer it makes us look bad, yada, yada, yada. But and it's having that conversation because it's about alignment. It's not only defining your desired culture with that organizational constitution, but every day it's having alignment conversations. This was great. Keep that up. This is falling short. Here's the consequence of that. This is not going to help us. But the reality is, is that people are going to only align to those things that are reinforced and, and that people are literally, there's consequences for, right? Either positive ones for alignment or negative consequences if you miss. Yeah. And how often should a, a team leader revisit a constitution? What, what's an appropriate amount? I mean, you do it every week and then it's a little bit much, but if you do it every year, is that too little? Yeah. Well, and, and the piece that, that's critical in this alignment phase is to do measurement. And, and literally, it's doing a custom value survey that if you've got four values and three behaviors each, you've got 12 behaviors you're going to measure. And leaders get the opportunity twice a year um, to, to have their direct reports give them feedback. <laughs> and literally, it's a six-point scale, right, from strongly agree, which is very desirable, to strongly disagree. You know, my boss does what she says she will do. And literally, that's the application. So what we want is agree or strongly agree, because that means that this leader is demonstrating that desirable behavior consistently. And so just as you have performance targets that people are held accountable to. Now we're talking about there's values targets that people are held accountable to. The, so there's defined with the organizational constitution. There's a line, which is everything we've been talking about, and there's refine. And the refine is it's, it's every couple of years, take a look at the behaviors, because literally what can happen is that the organization evolves and 
And you probably won't change your values. You probably won't change the definitions of those values. You probably won't change your servant purpose. You very likely will need to change strategies and goals because the market's moving, right? And there's cool opportunities that pop up. But literally, you could have the organization accommodate your first run of behaviors and you find new bad behaviors popping up. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of go, well, let's set these aside. These are these are not going to be, quote, part of our core 12, but now we've got a couple of behaviors that we want to address because we're working, you know, 24-7 or we're working in every country on the planet. Or, you know, and all those demands could require different behaviors to be raised up and to be formalized. So every couple of years is is, is fine. Cool. Well, Chris, we could go on for a long time, but why don't you tell us where we can go to learn more about you, your book? Outstanding. My main website is at driving results through culture. I know it's a mouthful. Dot com. No dashes, no spaces, just driving results through culture.com. That's where you'll find my videos, my books, my research, my podcast, all that stuff is there. Excellent. And if people need a good band, where should they go? Ah, go to chris-edmonds-music.com or Brian Rain R-A-I-N-E band.com and you can find us. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks so much for being on the show. We appreciate your insights and I look forward to talking again. Thanks, Neil. Very much appreciate it. This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, Go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace.